Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, good morning and happy feast day to our parish. We're celebrating the Feast of the Sacred Heart this week in our parish patrol feast day. So it's funny how the Lord does things sometimes, right? Like, because this past week on Thursday, I spent the entire morning, I got up real early, watched the sunrise, had my coffee, had my journal, had the scriptures. I was prepping my homily for this weekend, right? It's our big parish feast day. I'm like, I got to have a good word for the people, Lord, right? So I had a whole homily ready to go. And then, I don't know if you've been watching the news at all. Some, some stuff happened on Friday. <laughs> yeah! I couldn't believe it. It was incredible, right? Almost too good to be true news that Supreme Court of the United States overturned, overruled Roe versus Wade. And I'm thinking, well, I got to say something about that, right? Like, I can't go up there and look like a doofus and not mention it, right? So, so this is homily 2.0. This is homily 2.0. Maybe I'll preach the next one next year. I already got my homily done for next year. All right, so what was the court's ruling uh, last Friday? That there is no constitutional right to have an abortion. It's not in there. It has never been in the text. And they just said it was bad law from the beginning. There never has been and there never will be. So what does that mean? What did that whole decision mean on Friday? It means that the issue goes back to the states for the states to decide for themselves. Very simply, that's what it means. So contrary to what a lot of pro-abortionist activists have been saying and tweeting and putting online, abortion has not been outlawed and abolished in these United States, at least not outright, right? Um, yes, there were, I think there was about 13 states that had already passed trigger laws that, you know, as soon as Roe was overturned, that those states automatically would have uh, had the abolition of Roe versus Wade in their land. And that's awesome in those particular states. Thank God for that. But many, many, many more states certainly are going to dig in deeper on this, right? They're going to dig in deeper and become much more radical and much more open to it, which means that there's still a lot of work to be done. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of work to be done. And what does that work consist in? Consistent compassion. It consists in the work of furthering our efforts of prayer and intercession and fasting. Right? Jesus said there are some demons that can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And this certainly is one of them. And so many people in these United States for the past 50 years committed to prayer and fasting have been a huge part of driving this, uh, driving this, this, us to this point of this uh, ama- amazing victory, right? So it's the work of compassion. It's the work of furthering our assistance, doubling, tripling our assistance to pregnancy resource centers, all those things. The work of helping and supporting mothers who are carrying unplanned and unexpected pregnancies, the work of coaching and mentoring and mothering and all of that. So there's a lot of work to be done. It was hard to miss the providence, though, right, that how all of this came to be, all of the pieces, God's hand of providence, that like while we here at Sacred Heart are celebrating the Feast of the Sacred Heart this weekend because it's our parish feast day, the decision for Roe versus Wade, the overruling, came down on the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Right? That was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. Not only that, but... June 24th happens to be, typically, it happens to be the feast or the solemnity of the nativity of St. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is the one who, of course, was the first to recognize Christ's presence in the womb. That's where we all go, whoa, right? (laughs) But wait, there's more, okay? You ready? There's more. 
June 24th also happens to be the birthday of the woman who started the March for Life, Nellie Gray. Right? How awesome is that? That she, she didn't live to see the overruling of Rover Wade, at least she's watching it now from heaven. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. So, so what I want to try and do here uh, in the next hour, just kidding. Um, <laughs> what I want to try and do is I want to reflect on some of the connections that I see that I've been praying about, the connections between all of the liturgical celebrations we've had in the last couple weeks and this cultural moment that we're living through. So I want to try and draw some dots between, so Corpus Christi last weekend, Sacred Heart this weekend. Uh, we're in the midst of the month of June, which the secular culture calls Pride Month, right? This whole uh, misunderstanding of human sexuality, and now we got the overruling of Roe versus Wade. And I want to offer at the end here a little, little fervorino, a little, a little teeny little encouragement about how I think the Lord is calling us to respond going forward. So that's where we're going. That's where we're going. I want to start with this quote from Pope St. John Paul II's uh, encyclical Evangelium Vitae, The Gospel of Life. Pope says this, it is an illusion to think we can build a true culture of human life if we do not accept and experience sexuality and love and the whole of life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. I'm gonna read that one more time. It is an illusion to think we can build a true culture of human life if we do not accept and experience sexuality and love and the whole of life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. In other words, what the Pope is getting at is that you cannot build a flourishing civilization on the foundation of lies. You just can't do it. You can't build a flourishing civilization that promotes human well-being and the integral yeah, flourishing of the human person on the lie that the body doesn't matter or on the lie that marriage and family and sexuality are malleable, changeable, that they don't matter. You can't build a civilization on the lie that a child conceived can just as easily be discarded if it's unwanted, unexpected, cumbersome, burdensome. You can't build a civilization that sees human beings as trash, as, as able to be thrown away. You can't build a civilization on the idea that men and women are interchangeable because none of that is true. None of that is true. None of that can be the foundation for a civilization where human flourishing blossoms, right? Abortion is not a fundamental human right. It never has been, it never will be. The empowerment of women, it cannot come, it cannot be found by giving them the freedom to kill their own children. That is not empowerment. That is not empowerment. The ability, the very ability to conceive and carry new life is the greatest power that women have. The ability to be a mother, the capacity to carry new life. Now look, while the circumstances surrounding why a particular woman might have chosen an abortion, while they're, while they're varied and nuanced and often complex, totally true. Ultimately, the decision, the ability to make that decision comes about as the end result of a very deeply flawed and deeply confused view of the body and sexuality and where human freedom and flourishing are found. Here's the point, right? When we get, when we misunderstand the body, when we get the body wrong, when we get sexuality wrong, when we get love wrong, we get all of it wrong. 
Right? The body, contrary to the sort of modern viewpoint, the modern heresy, if you will, the body is not just this me- mechanistic shell that houses our spiritual soul. Right? Sexuality is not just mutual pleasure exchange, and love is not merely about feelings. <laughs> when you get all of those things wrong, you are laying a fertile ground for a lot of disaster. Right? Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. This is what I want to try and get to. This is what I want to try and get us to see. Connect the dots here. Notice, please, that all of this, this what I'm talking about, the body, sexuality, love, life, all of that is at the very heart, it's at the very center of the gospel. It's the very heart of our faith. Just notice how last week we celebrated the feast of Corpus Christi, right? Jesus giving us his body. It's Jesus saying, I give you my body. This week, this weekend, we celebrate the sacred heart. Jesus saying, I give you my heart. Last weekend, I give you my body. This weekend, I give you my heart. Friends, what is he trying to tell us? What is trying to be communicated through the church's liturgical life and these feasts? What is he trying to say? That our God is wildly in love with us. Like that, like these are the words of a bridegroom being spoken to his bride. These are These are nuptial words. These are spousal words. These are the kinds of words you hear at a wedding. Yesterday, before I had the 5 o'clock mass, Father Joe had a wedding here. There was flower petals everywhere. It was was, was insane. Okay. But those were the words that were being spoken by the bride and groom right here in front of this altar. I give you my body. I give you my heart. I give you myself. Right? These are nuptial words. So here's the question. Why then is Jesus our Savior, our Lord, the Messiah, the Word made flesh, why is Jesus saying these words to us? Because at the center of the faith, at the center of our faith is what St. Paul calls the great mystery. In Ephesians chapter 5, in Greek, it's the mysterion mega. I think that's how I have to say it, mysterion mega. I think it's better than great mystery. But it's what he calls the great mystery. It's at the heart of our faith. What is it? He, Paul quotes Genesis. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul is quoting Genesis 1. But then he adds this. And this, this whole spousal reality, marriage, sexuality, that reality, he says, this is a great mystery, but it speaks in reference to Christ and the church. Speaks in reference to Christ and the church. See what Paul is saying, that God made our bodies male and female from the beginning. He created marriage and sexuality from the beginning to be the sign that pointed to and revealed the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with his bride, the church, collectively, y'all, right? And also individually with you. He's not merely interested in a just like a, a friendly personal relationship. He's been stammering out through the whole course of salvation history from beginning to end in the Bible. He's been trying to communicate his deepest desire, which is not mere friendship. The Bible begins with a marriage in Eden. The Bible ends with a marriage in the heavenly paradise. All throughout the Bible, it's nuptial spousal imagery. God is trying to say, I want a union with you. I want a relationship with you. That the, the best analogy I can give you is like, it's like, it's like, spousal love where we are utterly united on every level of our being where we're totally implicated and we share life at the depth that's what God is saying I want union with you see if Jesus again I give you my body I give you my heart now stay with me here 
Like when you fall in love, when someone falls in love as a human being, love pushes you towards making a, a total sincere gift of yourself to the other, right? That's like the thrust of love. Love never, never says, well, I wanna give you like a little part of my life, right? Love always pushes us towards a totality, right? A total gift of self. You can have all of my days for the rest of my days. You can have my last name, you can have all of my money, you can have all of my time, right? Love pushes us towards totality. Love says, I want to give you me. That's what love says. I want to give you my heart and I want to receive you and dwell in your heart, right? Am I wrong, right? Spouses, like when you fell in love, when you fell in love with your husband, when you fell in love with your wife, when this other person pierced your heart deeply, you also wanted to then give them your body, give them yourself. I give you my heart, my bride, my husband. I give you my heart by giving you my body. And I receive your heart by receiving your body. That's why long distance relationships are so difficult. Those of you who've ever had to deal with that. Because the body matters, closeness matters, proximity matters. Like we're not angels, we, we have bodies, we need to be in communion, right? Because when you're in love, when you want to give someone your heart, when you want to receive someone's heart, you also want to give and receive the body. Can we see here now the connections between Corpus Christi and the Sacred Heart of Jesus? Right, these two feast days. The mystery of human love and sexuality is ultimately revealed by the Eucharist. The mystery of masculinity and femininity, the dance, of giving and receiving is revealed by the Eucharist. The mystery of, like all of love, spousal love is revealed by the Eucharist, right? Where Jesus simultaneously gives us his heart by giving us his body. He gives us his heart by giving us his body and we, the bride, the church, we process up the aisle like every single wedding. The bride processes up the aisle to meet her bridegroom standing at the foot of the altar, right? Where the bridegroom's waiting to give himself to the bride. And the bride, her job, your job, is to open and receive. This is the depth of the mystery of masculinity and femininity. This is why there's a man on the cross and a woman at the foot of the cross. This is, why, this is why a man is a, only men can be priests. It's built into our bodiliness that the man incarnates the image of the gift and the bride receives the gift. I know this is a lot. You still with me? Give me some of this if you're still with me. Okay. You didn't know you had to chew on some serious meat this morning. Okay, so Jesus wanted to give us his heart. He wanted to give us himself, his person, the very gift of himself, so he leaves us a memorial of his heart, his very body and blood. And every time we come forward to receive him, we receive his body, we receive his heart. So like what Paul is saying in that great mystery, the natural sign of marriage in the beginning is the sign of, like that natural communion of husband and wife is a sign of holy communion. Holy communion. That's the idea. And what is the end result of all of this giving and receiving? Life. 
life on the natural level, right? When the two become one, they become so much one that nine months later, you got to give it a name, right? (laughs) On the natural level, it's natural life. And in the supernatural level, in the sacramental level, when the bride opens and the bridegroom gives, divine life is conceived in the heart. Divine life. Okay. I know this is a lot, but like, friends, like this right here, this is the gold. Like this is, this is the nectar. This is the juicy nectar at the heart of our faith. This is like the Tootsie Roll Center at the center of the Tootsie Pop, right? Takes a lot of licks to get there, but this, it's worth it, right? Okay, so a huge piece of what I'm trying to get at is that like this pro-life work that we're called into now in this post-row world, it's not enough to just simply keep working for legislative solutions, as important as that is. Don't get me wrong. As many brilliant minds have said before me, culture is upstream from politics. We have to begin injecting truth into the bloodstream of the culture. We have to bring about a renewed and integral vision of the human person, marriage, family, and most especially sexuality, right? Because when our culture lost sight of what the human person is, when our culture lost sight of what love is, when we lost sight of all of that, what sexuality is, we became willing to accept the necessary evil of abortion. Right, parents, a little veiled language here. When we, when we started treating marital intimacy as recreative rather than procreative, we needed to have a backup solution to deal with the unintended consequences of those actions. In other words, when the baby showed up, when the baby wasn't invited to the party, We needed to have a way of dealing with that. All of that flows from a warped view of the body and sexuality. So back to my original point, I'm gonna land this plane here. The devil doesn't have the ability to create evil. All he can do is twist and distort what God has made. All he can do is distort God's beautiful plan. We have to untwist it. What I'm talking about is the untwisting. Right from the beginning, he made us male and female. Count it. Two, right? Male and female. Not 50, not 1,000, two. From the beginning, he made us this way. He made it so that love and life go together. He made it so that the one flesh union of marriage would be the sign that pointed to and revealed the kind of relationship. It would reveal the mystery of our salvation. Jesus, the bridegroom, giving himself to the bride. All of this. He gives us his sacred heart by giving us his precious body, right? Why? Because he wants union. I want union with you. I want to fill you with divine life. Okay, so a word real quick as I end this about how I think we're called to respond. First of all, number one, do not, for the love of God, turn into a keyboard warrior, okay, at this stage of the post-row world, right? We all see the things that are being posted, insane things, awful things, things about Christians, pro-lifers, and especially Catholics, right? All sorts of things. Do not get on there and be like, oh, I will show you, Aunt Susan, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? You are never coming over to Thanksgiving ever again, right? That's helpful, right? No, 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 no. For every stroke of the keyboard that you are tempted to type, you need to pray 20 times as much, okay? We pray and fast 20 times as much as we, we engage on that level because honestly, it just doesn't help. We all know it, it just doesn't work. It just feels good to get it out, right? Comment boxes, okay, don't even do it. Secondly, we have to, we have to, we have to 
double, triple, quadruple our efforts when it comes to assisting pregnancy resource centers in our own area, especially with time, talent, and treasure. If you're interested in looking for someplace close by, check out Oasis of Hope. It's in Medina, oasisofmedina.com. Go on the Diocese of Cleveland website. There's all sorts of pregnancy resource centers. We got to put our money and our time where our mouth is. Amen? Finally, this is the moment for us as Catholics in Wadsworth to be the sacred heart of Jesus, right? The world needs the witness of the sacred heart. It's our moment to share the sacred heart, to speak and give witness to the sacred, sacred heart, right? To speak with the tone of the sacred heart, which is not a tone of severity or condemnation or judgment. It's the tone of mercy. It's the tone of compassion. It's the tone of saying, I'm willing to walk with you. I know you've made mistakes and I know your head is filled with so many errors, but I love you and I'll walk with you, right? That's the sacred heart. The, heart. the sacred heart of Jesus fights not by conquering with power, it fights by letting itself be conquered in love. That's how we have to fight. His heart was broken, it, was, it suffered, it was patient, it was pierced, and we have to do the same. So in this mass, as the Lord Jesus gives us his sacred heart by giving us his precious body, may we again as the bride open and receive the gift deeply. Amen.